Hi, podcast audience. If you love our show, will you help us? If you're already a member, spread the word and ask a friend to join you in membership. And if you're a first-time listener, become part of our patron community. Patrons receive extra content, behind-the-scenes research, and more. Become a patron today for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the TV and radio program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward-thinking people with real-life models of shifting power from the few to the many in the worlds of arts, entrepreneurship, and governance. Renewable energy, racist redlining, and now possibly a renaissance. The people of Buffalo, New York, this city, have seen a lot. Buffalo, on the shores of Lake Erie, began the rapid growth, which has made it the state's second city of nearly a million inhabitants. In the last century, this was a booming industrial town fueled by a falls and people from all over the planet. But most of the wealth concentrated at the top, and at the end, it mostly moved out. It looks as if people and investment may be coming back, but will the wealth be more equitably shared? Will it be healthily invested with a view to the long term? Grassroots activists are determined that this time the future will be different. And they're not just hoping or lobbying for a change, they're looking very closely at government. Buffalo used to be really affordable and we're just seeing development happen, we're hearing this renaissance and it's pushing prices higher and higher. We know already that there is no savior for us that's coming from City Hall. If we cannot have our people that have our interests at heart running for elected office, then we're not going to get very far. This is the Laura Flanders Show, this week from Buffalo, a city where the people who say it can't be done take a backseat to the people who are doing it. Welcome. Uh, Buffalo, as you know, has had an extraordinary recovery, uh, but it's not just a New York recovery story. It is literally a national model of recovery. Uh, I spent many years in the federal government, as you know, at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and the whole question was, could you take these older industrial cities and turn them around? And uh, frankly, we, we uh, didn't have a lot of success doing that. Buffalo is the shining example in opposition. Uh, where a city that many believe did not have a future but only a past has actually turned around. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has promised $1 billion to the city through his embattled Buffalo Billion Initiative. It would invest in solar, startups, and a new medical campus. But will Buffalo's renaissance, if it comes, revive or remove the people who are already here? India Walton is a single mom of four who worked hard to put herself through nursing school only to find that the very medical campus she worked in was threatening to price her and her people in the neighboring community out. So I had a baby when I was 14. I dropped out to raise my son. Um, I wound up getting my GED. And then when I was 19, I had a set of twins who were extremely premature and they spent a long time in the hospital. And as a result of that experience, I really wanted to be a nurse. I went to nursing school, got my degree, and I went back and worked in the same NICU um, where my children were born. So where did you end up living? 
once you got this degree? And what was your hope having gotten that far through medical school? I knew of the Fruit Belt from growing up. I knew that it was a place where housing was relatively affordable. I knew it was a place where there would still be a yard for my children to play in and I wanted to be close to work. Um, so we, we started to look for homes in the neighborhood and there wasn't a lot available. And why were the prices jacking up so quickly and so high? Well, because the medical campus, right? It's great. <laughs> They're bringing in 12,000 employees a day. They have this great image. There's been all of this investment that's happening there, improvements in infrastructure. So like, there's really a lot of speculation about what this neighborhood is going to be five, 10, 15 years from now. So just to reiterate, the very place that's employing you is it threatening to make you homeless? Yes. <laughs> and that is, that is where I was and a lot of our narrative in that moment was ag against the medical campus and not ag against their existence or the healthcare they provide, but just knowing that these huge well-resourced institutions have something that they can give back to the community. When Catherine Franco, a longtime activist with decades of nonprofit experience, was priced out of the neighborhood where she grew up and moved to the university district, she found the prices were going up there too and renters had no protection. In 2019, she decided to do something about it and run to be a candidate for Buffalo's Common Council, the city's government. This is my home headquarters for our campaign right now. So many people come already, neighbors and everything else, come and knock on doors and say, can I have a sign? Can I have a sign? I'm really excited because I, I've just heard that the people really feel rallied and, and that they feel like they want to come behind this campaign in part because what happens in districts doesn't happen just in districts like we as these elected seats are supposed to be a voice for the folks there and representing them but we also make decisions and policy for the whole of our city buffalo is a very poor very segregated city and so when i was growing up there it was uh, predominantly puerto rican where i was living and it was quite it was quite a poor area um and I remember I had an apartment there in my mid-20s and I was paying half my monthly income to that rent. And it was just undoable. I couldn't manage. I was getting late in other bills, not just my rent. And so I thought, okay, let me try to go buy a house. And so when I was looking around in that neighborhood, I was absolutely priced out of the market. And so I ended up finding a home here in the university district, which has been wonderful. I have great community here, but it's five years later and we're still not seeing protections for folks in our city. So we're still not seeing renters protections. We're still not seeing um, even protections for homeowners. We're having a new tax assessment come up. And so we're seeing our city grow, but who is it growing for and how is it growing? We hear about a renaissance. Mm -hmm. We hear about a green plan, an energy plan. Mm -hmm. um, what's your problem with any of that? So I think that the problem is not necessarily um, in theory, but it's really been in practice. So looking at the Buffalo Billion, wondering where a lot of that money has gone, um, looking at the projects that, that have been invested in um, and not seeing real outcomes for people, not seeing outcomes that are impacting people's lives. We can either see a continuation of disinvestment into our east side, which is primarily communities of color, primarily black folks, or we can see a real connection and a real investment where we are saying, you know what, we see you, we value you, and it's time for us to do better. I've said this time and time again, but kind of this vision of a better Buffalo and a more inclusive Buffalo, it's not my vision. It's vision that is shared with, with so many people that I've talked to because just like me, they're tired, they're frustrated, and they want something different, they want something more. 
Larry Scott was one of several community-backed candidates who ran for his local school board after residents scored a victory, ousting a powerful incumbent. Whitney Crispell, community activist. Two or three years ago in Buffalo, we had a, a racist board member, Carl Palladino. Rachel Dominguez. Buffalo Parent Teacher Organization. Paladino has a long and sordid history of making not just racist, but also um, homophobic and transphobic comments. He's a real estate developer, and so he has money, quite a lot of it, and has been using that money to exert political influence for a very long time in Buffalo. Both Rachel and I were really involved in the campaign to see him removed and um, we were both leaders in that movement. And when we were finally successful after about eight or nine months of hard work, I sort of made a promise to myself that we did all this work, getting a bad board member out the next election cycle, I was going to work to get good members in. And then Larry, who I have known um, for several years and then really got to know more through that work, and then got to see how much he just had his finger on the pulse on all kinds of district issues, his values. It just was a no-brainer when he told me he was running and asked to help. It was just, I had to do it. Buffalo Public School parent. I have two boys that attend School 81 here in Buffalo. Larry Scott, Buffalo School Board. I've been co-chair of the Buffalo Parent Teacher Organization and co-founder um, for over five years, which I'm now stepping away from. Um, as a result of being elected to the Buffalo School Board at large. Buffalo says it's, spent, it's doing what it can and it has limited budgets. What's missing? So over the past 14 years, there's only been an increase of $500,000 towards education. For the police budget, it's increased every year in those 14 years significantly. And I believe it's grown 60 million more than where it was 14 years ago. And so my argument has been I think our kids and their education deserve at least an equal increase to what the police are getting. But it's not easy to penetrate the power structure. Vanessa Glushevsky served as deputy comptroller for the city of Buffalo and got a behind-the-scenes look at how the power structure operates when she sought to be appointed to the post. First off, tell us where we are. What's the significance of this place to this city and to you? We are in Martin Luther King Park. And it's a significant landmark in the city. We have this huge statue behind us that has caused some controversy in the past, but it's still great. Uh, there's a huge jazz festival that's significant to the African-American community that happens. The Juneteenth Parade happens. The history of Dr. Martin Luther King reminds us that making change is not easy. Yeah. The power establishment does not shift magically of its own accord. Mm -hmm. You had that experience yourself. I did. Talk about it. So recently, I was a candidate for the city comptroller position. It was vacant after Mark Schroeder went on to become the commissioner of the DMV. And so I was already in City Hall because he had named me, named me as deputy comptroller before he left. So once he left, I took over as acting comptroller and was working full time and running a campaign uh, and simultaneously fighting City Hall, really, because I was not the chosen one to run for the seat. As someone who was not endorsed by the party, it was extremely difficult. But, you know, we really, we gave it all, our all, and I'm happy to say that like over 40 people volunteered to carry my petition. and. We got over 2,000 signatures, which we had a, we had, were meeting a benchmark of 1,500. So we did the best that we could, but at the end of the day, um, you know, to 
to fight City Hall. We really just needed more than that. This is the Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. You're listening to our special report, Making Buffalo Our City. Buffalo, New York, is up for a billion-dollar investment by the state in the name of revitalizing the city's economy. But for whom? The Laura Flanders Show went to look at what residents are doing, especially in the face of gentrification, to ensure that revitalization is driven by people over profits. You can see all the people power in action we're watching on this episode at our website. That's lauraflanders.org. And while you're there, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Our report continues. But first, here's Keep It Moving by Lady Alma from her album Twilight, courtesy of Flashy Beats. Progressive candidates aren't running in a vacuum. A progressive coalition calling itself Our City came together across issue groups recently to draw up a nine-point platform for inclusive development. Now they're calling on all of Buffalo's politicians to commit to it. John Washington, Asim Johnson, and Harper Bishop were there at the birth. So wait, this was a train terminal? Uh, we are at the Central Terminal in the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood. Uh, this is a neighborhood that has experienced a lot of divestment over the years since the terminal has been out of use. You know, this is one of the places where we really started thinking about um, building a coalition, an intersectional coalition to build political power to, you know, shift the dynamics that we were dealing with in our organizing in Buffalo. This neighborhood is not going to be the same once a, de a developer yeah. is found for this terminal. One way that it can go is uh, concentration of power and wealth and that outside developers come in and they continue to hoard that, that wealth. Or it's a place where community control and community wealth is going to be built. I was very passionate about creating a holistic narrative for the city of Buffalo in regards to gentrification. Understand that gentrification, for one, is a problem. It's not an issue. The issues underlining uh, gentrification are things like um, lack of uh, access to quality housing, quality education, uh, jobs, um, the environment, and working to really be in coalition with organizations who have a focus on those particular issues and how can we together create this holistic narrative. What were you doing before this? So before this, I was actually with the Coalition for Economic Justice. That's how the three of us all actually met. At the time, Harper's with Open Buffalo, John with Push. And uh, Open Buffalo actually convened a table called the High Road Economic Development Table. Um, and in so many ways, I guess you could say, our city kind of was birthed from that, mm -hmm. you know, because we were all at the table anyway. It was just more so, I'm like, we got to take this a step further. We were advised by so many people to actually pick one issue and to focus <laughs> in on it. So many people told us that, and as John said, we don't, we live intersectional lives, and so there's so many people that come into spaces, including all of us, that live a very intersectional life. 
And I was really inspired by, well, mulling that over. I went to Washington, D.C. It was a kickoff for the Poor People's Campaign and heard Dr. Reverend Barber speak. And he said, uh, so do the powers that be, do developers, do corporations ask for one thing? No, they don't ask for one thing. They ask for as much as they can, whenever they want, for you know, as long as they want. And we need to start having the same audacity to say that we are no longer gonna just say one thing and, and feel like we have to beg for that one thing that actually we deserve and our communities deserve all of these things um, and their human rights. Uh, we have a very like white male-led culture in nonprofits that says like, let's just go in the neighborhood and tell everybody what the solution is. Instead of like, let's get real about the connections of the problems because everybody is talking about individual problems. And even if people are not working with us or they're working in their silos, it's clear that gentrification is the root cause. And so like, that's something I'm proud of is people who I don't really like and don't want to work with, but they're clear that the root cause is gentrification and that narrative actually helps their work too and so it's not about us being the right people you know we have we have automation we have climate change we have inflation we have these like forces that are going to kill us all buffalo is like the number two climate migration zone in the country and i feel like you know what i mean we have like my kids and their kids like for their existence on this planet and then in space in this city like we have to establish that like our youth are really what is central to this movement because they have to build a bigger and better and stronger movement than we did and we have to give them the tools to do that while we're building ours. The way that we look and the, ref the reflection of uh, folks I think is like as John said is going to be incredibly diverse. I as a trans man have a very different experience and to have queer and trans voices at the table and decision making is actually extraordinary in a town like Buffalo and so that adds to it. We've had women and gender non-conforming queer trans people, multi-generational multicultural um, and so it has been incredibly diverse and we're extremely proud of that what if our cities put people not profits first in Buffalo almost a thousand residents took part in a six-month community planning process that came up with a nine-point vision their city they said is a city where investing in the future means investing in quality public education first where immigrants are not only welcome but protected and cherished and safe. Where everyone has access to health and affordable housing and the most in need are helped to the first. Where demographics don't determine life outcomes. And the local economy is developed by, with and for local people. A city where the arts and cultural institutions are prized and thrive where police protect and serve and public safety is a function of public well-being. Where public transportation works for everyone. And the money the city spends on food helps create healthy, happy lives. It's our city, they say. We have a right to it. But to make it real, our city needs our government. So from education and housing to frontline arts and food equity, do you see this as a list or more of a system? It's a system. Uh, what we see here uh, is that every single thing is interconnected. We can't be everything to everyone, but if we have a comprehensive agenda that is addressing as many of the needs that the residents tell us that they need, then we can have real success that is really forging a path forward far into the future. 
Rawar Girmatsian is the executive director of Push Buffalo, a grassroots organization that grew out of a housing rights struggle. Now it's part housing developer, part workforce development agency, arts hub, green energy firm, and political organizer. We met Rawa in her brand new office in renovated public school 77. So talk a bit about what makes Push Buffalo different. Our approach is really trying to get to is how can we be in right relationship with Mother Earth? How can we be in right relationship with our community? And how can we be in right relationship with ourselves? Uh, we basically started our work by organizing, meaning we're gonna get down to the grassroots and we're gonna talk to everyday people and not make assumptions about what they, what they need and what they want. It was intentional government policies that created what we see today. Uh, as you know, um, most American cities experienced this white flight in the 70s where Buffalo lost half of its population. Uh, we currently have, if you go to the east side of Buffalo, which is a, a concentration, 85% of that population is African American. That is also some of the highest concentration of poverty that we see in the city. That intentional uh, map of why the concentration of poverty exists it's called redlining. We are still feeling the impacts of redlining in our communities. What's exasperating it even more right now is this desire for everyone to move back to the cities from the suburbs. The reality of where we are now because of gentrification is that we are under immediate threat of being displaced. Um, and so as a result of that, uh, you know, we're going to fight obviously and that's why we do what we do. And we also believe in an idea called economic development without displacement. And I think that those are intentional policies that we are trying to win. With the election of a Democratic majority in Albany in 2018, progressives were able to win some victories at the state level in New York. Now they want to see change like that come to Buffalo. Two residents, Luz Velez, a survivor of environmental poisoning, and Geovira Hernandez, were part of the coalition that developed the Climate, Leadership and Community Protection Act a landmark piece of environmental justice legislation which was on the eve of being signed into law when we met. Well, Albany is, is our capital, and obviously this is where the seed of policies are made. I go there, I, I learn a lot, but I also speak. I, I tell them my story, but I protest. I lay down, I, I risk being arrested. Never been arrested, but I'm willing to risk it and, and just do that. And just let the word be out there that there's a lot of us and that it's important that people hear our voices and see our faces. Governor Cuomo, you need to pass this act and stop being a punk about the business that we need to have done for us. We voted you in, we can vote you out. We need real legislation for real people who are being affected. And to all our assemblymen who have backed up, uh, you can be backed out. We're pushing for 40% of the energy funds that come in through the transition for renewable energy to be going into frontline communities. So providing a racial, economic, political, and environmental justice. This isn't just environmental law. This is all of the above, which is so intersectional. So are you a little bit excited? I am, <laughs> I am excited. I'm also like holding on to a chair because we've come so close. I've been working on this campaign the last two years and it's been in existence for about four. And this is the closest that we've ever gotten. And to be here and be in this moment and think like, yes, we have it but then also realizing the, the, the harshness of this political structure that we have in New York State and all throughout the United States. Having that back thought of, are they gonna sign it into law? If they're gonna sign it into law, how close is it gonna be to the bill that we drafted? 
and we need it to be a strong bill, which is what we drafted. And so what's different about us and what we're doing here and around the state is that we're shifting the narrative of what it is to do this work and who it is that does this work. Because we're so close to the problem and not by choice, therefore we're so close to the solution. Our communities have been so resilient for so long and have been finding ways to survive. And so this movement is really to get to a point where we're not only surviving, we're thriving. You advanced a bill through the state in the last uh, many months. You were part of a statewide coalition that did so. Uh, you scored a big victory we've been hearing about. It's right there in the paper. It is. <laughs> Front page of the New York Times. Rawa Germatsian, CEO, Push Buffalo. So why not leave it at that? Isn't that enough? Absolutely not. Why not? Uh, because... When we walk around here and we do the amount of door knocking uh, that we do and talk to our community members, there are just too many people that are hurting. We celebrate our victories, whether they're small, whether they are big, because it's important to celebrate with each other. However, we do not sit on our laurels because every single day we're being confronted with people that just have incredible amounts of needs and need a lot of help. Even during Buffalo's decline, where we lost half of our population, the people that stayed here found roots here. And I think that it is important for all of us to be engaged civically, to build real deep democracy, the aspirations that this country's always wanted to live up to. Um, and so I think we all have our parts to do. The Our City Initiative is just getting started. Catherine Franco didn't win her primary this time around, and the governor's Buffalo billion money is still getting developers excited. But in 2017, India Walton and her neighbors did manage to establish the city's first community land trust, a non-profit designed to give residents some control over their land. Now Walton's considering her own run for office. Being a person of color still puts you at disadvantage. I had some challenges, I made some mistakes. I recovered from them very pretty gracefully in being a registered nurse, but still I am the exception. When I go into a place of employment, I am one of very few registered nurses. And why is that? When the populations that we serve are people who, who look like me, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, this is not a situation of, well, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work harder, it doesn't happen that way. There are systems in place that keep people in place. And that is what we need to begin to, to work on, dismantling and rebuilding something new. And that's what makes me so excited about the land trust. These are the first four city-owned lots that we were able as an organization to acquire. Next summer, we're going to break ground on two single-family homes in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. So these are gonna be um, homes for qualified low to moderate income home buyers that are going to be 0% for um, 30 years, and they're gonna be permanently affordable. I think that now is the time where we challenge who should be making policies. Um, it doesn't always have to be a person with a degree in political science or lawyer. Um, moms know what we need. Nurses know what we need. Everyday people who live these lives and face challenges and overcome challenges, I believe are the ones who are best equipped to lead. So could it be a NIC unit nurse? It could definitely be a NICU nurse and probably should. <laughs> You're thinking of running? Um, I'm pretty solid in my decision. I'm going to.
That's it for our special report from Buffalo, New York. You can find more information on all of my guests, along with some of my research materials and more at our Patreon site. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash the LF show. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the LF show. You'll find links there, too, for all of our community wealth building programming and a whole lot more. While you're there, help us reach our goal of 100 members by the end of the year by spreading the word. If you appreciate what we're doing, put that appreciation into action by becoming a member. It's super easy, only takes a couple of minutes. Do it now. When you become a member, you cast a vote for people-powered media. Thanks. The show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Matt Colicello, Jeannie Harper, Tommy Tahifi, Natasha Gaspar, Nat Needham, and Sabine Blazin. The Laura Flanders Show is made possible from the Novo, Ford, Tomcat, Cloud Mountain, and Fonda Foundations, as well as by listeners like you. So thank you. Stay kind, stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.